This episode is brought to you by Arizona Birding Tours, Arizona's premier local guiding service for birders and bird photographers. ABT offers custom individual and private group tours throughout the state from the birder mecca of southeastern Arizona to the world-famous canyon country of northern Arizona. Arizona Birding Tours is about following passions, passion for being in nature, for exploring beautiful places and amazing birds, for getting the best possible photo, and for having new experiences that create lasting memories. Arizona Birding Tours, more birds, better photos, your list. Find out more at www.arizonabirdingtours.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. It is gift-giving season and we have the episode everyone waits for this time of year. The annual Best Books of 2023 with Donna Shulman and Rebecca Minardi. Where's Frank? You might be asking, referring to our friend Frank Izagiri, who has been the third for these discussions in the past. Well, Frank is finishing up his thesis this year and felt as though his book knowledge for 2023 was not to par. But never fear, Francophiles, he's around and he'll be back in the not too distant future. In any case, we've got quite the stack of books for this year, many of which would probably make great gifts for the birder in your life or yourself. You know what would also be a great gift? ABA membership. It's a perfect holiday gift for the birder of any age in your life. You can get more information about that at aba.org slash gift membership. But let's get to the good stuff. Best bird books of 2023, all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the beginning of December 2023. A quick update to a report from last week, the Glaucus Wing goal in Ontario that I mentioned in last week's episode is not, in fact, a first record for the province. There are at least two or three others. One of these weeks, I'm going to do a Rare Bird Focus that does not begin with an errata, but it will not be this week. Anyway, noteworthy sightings for this current week include yet another yellow-headed caracara seen in Florida, this time in Biscayne Bay. This is the second of this species seen in Florida this year and could possibly be the same individual that went missing for most of the year. In any case, this species is seeing an increasing pattern of vagrancy northward from their core range in northern South America, now seen as far north as southern Nicaragua and less frequently into southern Mexico. 2023 has seen not only the initial Florida bird, but also another photographed in Texas. It does seem like there is something going on here. Eastern Canada has seen an influx of European species in the last few days with a gray heron turning up in Nova Scotia and Fieldfare, a highly migratory thrush similar to our American robin seen in both Ontario and Quebec in recent days. The only first record of the period, however, comes from Nevada, where a scaly-breasted munia was seen in the northwest part of the state near Gerlach. The species is native to South Asia, but is an established exotic in the ABA area. The highest densities of the species are still in Southern California, but it has been spreading northward, with a recent flurry of records as far north as Sacramento, from which this bird could have originated, but the vagrancy potential of introduced species largely remains a mystery. Those are the highlights for the past week, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all of the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and in ABA community. Hi, this is Wayne Klockner, Executive Director of the American Birding Association. For over 50 years, the ABA has been serving the community of birders in North America by providing news, resources, and connections to assist birders on every step of their journey. And we need your help to continue into the future. 
By making a gift to the ABA, you're providing us with the resources we need to continue producing world-class stories from inside the world of birding, like the ones you've heard here on the American Birding Podcast. You'll help us continue building ABA community and the ABA community app, a place for birders to discuss all things birding and get advice and ID help from community experts on the go. And you'll help us continue producing birding and North American birds magazines with in-depth information and stories from the world of birding and bird conservation. Please make a gift today by going to aba.org slash appeal or by calling 800-850-2473 and help the birding community continue to grow and thrive. Thank you. Holiday season is here, and in my experience, there's very little that birders like more than bird books as a gift, as we have since the beginning of this podcast. I think this is our longest running segment. Uh, it's time again to reconvene the Birding Book Club to talk about what we liked in the bird book world in 2023, an exceptionally good year for bird books, I must say. Uh, welcome back to Donna Shulman, book reviewer for the website 10,000 Birds, and Rebecca Minardi, Birding Magazine's book and media reviewer. I hope you both are well. What did you think about the birding book scene in 2023? Also, hello. <laughs> Hi, Nate. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. I thought the book scene was awesome. It was really hard for me to winnow down my choices. Indeed. I, If you read the magazine, I compile a bulletin of all the books mm -hmm. that have come out within the like a month or two. And I, I had to like winnow some out even in that. There were so many bird books this year. So it was exciting. Yeah, there was just a ton of great bird books. And, and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like this might have been the, the COVID uh, explosion, like everyone who'd been working on bird books during the during the COVID years, uh, finally got their bird books out in 2023. And, you know, Donna, you were we were here oh, a year ago. And I think the consensus with you and I and Frank was that 2022 was not so great. It was it was a little bit of slim pickings. But man, we we turned it around. Yes. And we were also concerned uh, because there's been some shifting of mm -hmm. publishers, um, some merging, some closing down. But I think there are other publishers swooping in with titles. There are birding books yep. coming out through mainstream publishers. So yep. it all looks really good. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would have believed it a year ago, but here we are. Mm. Um, as we have every year that we've done this, uh, the three of us have collected a, a short list of our favorite bird books for the last, uh, the last 12 months or so. But we've got five. We've done our best to get five. There's some overlaps. There are some things that uh, each of us have individually. I think that'll be fun to talk about. But uh, I think we're all aware of the books, or for the most part, aware of the books that, that we have on each other's list. We'll be able to speak to them. We'll work ourselves down from the fifth to the first. And I will say just my list, especially from like three to five, could have gone in any order. So I just kind of put them in an order. It's, it's hard to rank these things. I think. Did you guys have trouble ranking them, or do you? Are you in in the same boat here? Do you just kind of choose five books and go by vibes for the most part? It was so hard for me. I I don't know if I can say I ranked mine because I have popular yeah. science, I have memoir, I yeah. have a children's book, and then I have a field guide. So it's it's tricky. There's one that comes out for the number one spot for me, but the other four, eh. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it was hard to rank because there's a lot of diversity of titles. Um, for sure. And of course, my instinct is always to go for the identification guides because I love those. And yeah. I have two really good ones on my list. But every time in getting ready for the podcast, I was looking over my reviews and my notes and the books. And I'm like, no, this is really, really good. So mm-hmm. um, I think we just need to present it to uh, people yeah. listening. Well, well, let's do it. These these uh, conversations tend to run long, so we will we will give ourselves as much time as we can to to have this conversation. Um, because we do have some overlaps, let's plan on talking about the book at the top of its ranking, right? So whoever has the book higher up in its ranking, we will wait until that person to talk about a book. So if you have a say, you have a book at number five, and I have a book at number two, you can say this is my number five. We'll pause conversation on that until we get to the number two. Does that make sense to everybody and also the listeners? I hope that makes sense to, to all the folks out there. Um, yeah, so, we'll, so we're not talking about the same books over and over and over again. We'll hold it off until uh, we get to the, the highest, possible, highest possible ranking for that individual book because we do have, do have some oversight. Um, Rebecca, uh, this is your first time doing a best of. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'd love to start off. Um, this is number five only because this is best bird books in this book covers birds and other non-human species so that's the only reason it's number five but i'm thrilled to talk (laughs) about caveat you need yeah yes (laughs) the end of eden wild nature in the age of climate breakdown by adam wells it was published by bloomsbury and this is the first time i've seen a book so succinctly detailed the how of climate changes impacts on non-human species so we know warming climate can alter like a bird species range but mm-hmm. Wells really skillfully explains why climate breakdown, as he terms it, is wreaking havoc on bird populations. So he does highlight other animals, like I mentioned, like moose, bottlenose dolphins. And I love that he capitalizes all non-human species. Nice. Um, I appreciate that. More of that. But Wells is a birder first and foremost. And so he spends a lot of time on birds such as southern yellow-billed hornbills, red knots, and in the most devastating chapter, Puerto Rican parrots. Um, right. In that chapter, which is about extreme weather, he details how recent hurricanes, specifically Maria, so devastated the already critically endangered species, the Puerto Rican parrots, that their old language that has evolved over half a million years was completely wiped out. Only captive bred parrots exist now. Mm. So mm. that was a tough read. This book is a tough read, um, but he goes through plagues, diseases, fires, how increases in CO2 levels in the air are fertilizing trees and making grasslands disappear. He just shows example after example of how climate breakdown and habitat loss are pushing species to extinction. And um, he calls climate change a force multiplier. So it's interacting with things like habitat loss, invasive species spread to further um, harm birds that we love. And if this book is too depressing for you to get through, which I get. <laughs> I'm glad we did trust this first. Me, I understand. And I'm doing it first because we need to get this topic out, out of the way. Um, but if this book is tough for you to read, I would encourage you to at least read his conclusion. It's really um, well done. You can see his anger, but you can also see his awe for the wild world. He has some suggestions for ways we can kind of change what we're doing. And I really think this is a must read book for anyone concerned about the planet. And I hope it's wide read. I've always thought that birds were such a, a useful way to think about climate change and think about the effects of, the, of climate change because they are, they're so pervasive I and mean, they're, they're truly everywhere. And there are so many different niches 
that are affected by climate change species. in lots of different ways. Yeah, right. and and there you know a lot of different illustrative stories that you can take from that. Um, I'm not familiar with this book, but it does sound like uh, I'm not yeah. sure if I want to read it based on your uh, <laughs> descriptions. It's, Rebecca, it's, but I, I take I take, yeah. I take it that it was well done. <laughs> Let me just say I was in Puerto Rico in March, and um, those captive parrots are being released into the wild. Mm -hmm. So there is a hope. There is hope. There species. is hope. They they weren't eradicated, but the lineage of parrots that retained their evolved language, that's gone. Those parrots mm -hmm. are all gone. So that mm -hmm. part was, that was a tough yeah. to read. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add on that. Um, <laughs> thanks for that though, Rebecca. I appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Donna, do you want to tackle your, um, your, your number five? My number five. Um, I actually didn't put them in order, but I know. I you, you can randomize if you like. <laughs> it's pretty good. So my number five uh, was Flight Paths, How a Passionate and Quirky Group of Pioneering Scientists Solved the Mystery of Bird Migration by Rebecca Heisman. Uh, All right. So that is my number five as well. I was going to say okay. that might be my number one, but okay. we, we can, can we, talk let's about save it. it. Let's five. save it. Okay. We will save it. We will save okay. it. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Donna, do you have another book? I do. It's Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World by Christian Cooper. How many of you had that on your list? I did I not. I never got a copy, but Rebecca, Rebecca did. did. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. so good. I'll list it. I'll, I'll say it's my number four. I think that that's okay. fair. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So this is, um, I'd say it's a memoir by Christian Cooper, mm -hmm. who... Chris has always been well known in the, the New York City birding world. He's a Central Park birder, especially in the spring. He's on the board of New York City Audubon. Uh, he became nationally, even worldwide, known due to an encounter in Central Park with a woman who he asked to leave. It's a story I think everybody knows, mm -hmm. um, but a woman tried to weaponize his race against him when mm -hmm. he asked her to leash her dog. Um, and that was the same day as the George Floyd incident. And it all became uh, part of a um, stimulus for all of us in the birding world and in the U.S. to sort of look at ourselves in terms of how we feel about race and uh, public policy about race, but mostly individual attitudes. So you would think this is what the book is about, and it is a part of the book, but it really is a book about what it's like to grow up black and gay um, in our world and mm -hmm. how birding was so much a part of his life from adolescence, maybe even before, and how birding helped him find community and learn about himself and the world. So parts of it are biography, parts are travel, parts are about birding in Central Park and other places. And he does ultimately talk about the Central Park incident, but in a very, very, um, I, I don't even know the word. Nuanced. Uh, it's very nuanced. Nuanced, but also very measured, intelligent way to approach it, uh, which I think he did from the beginning. But I 
am very happy that it's in print because Chris is also a very good writer. He's a writer and editor by trade. Uh, so it's a very well-crafted book. He understands how to bring in the past and the present in ways that um, complement and talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good read. I think it was written for a wider audience than birders, but there is a lot of birding material here too. Yeah, I would definitely say he kind of assumed the reader wasn't a birder, um, mm. which is which is fine. But he includes these birding tips in his Seven Pleasures of Birding, which I love. Right. Yes. 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 Birding is sort of the um, the wire around which all of the stories are intertwined. So um, I, I highly recommend it. There's a lot of books out there that are written for a general, more general audience, and and maybe that's just because that's where the the money is to some extent too. I mean, if you're writing a book just for birders, you're not going to sell very many of them. Um, but using birding as this way to tell uh, tell a larger story, which I think is really uh, a compelling way to to go about it, and also to introduce the the community of birding, the, the passion of birding, the hobby of birding to a, to a wider audience as well. I have not read this book, so I won't you know, comment on anything in it. But I, I think many of us know Chris's story. It's a very compelling story. And I'm I'm really glad to see his life taking center stage rather than this thing that happened to him take center stage, which I think is a way a lot of people outside of birding uh, know Chris. Within birding, we sort of, maybe we know him as the Central Park Effect guy uh, as well, because he was in that documentary as well. But it, it's, yes. it's nice to see <laughs> That that angle being taken, you know, birding is a, a way to have a life or or a way to build a life um, and not, you know, the only thing that goes on in somebody's life. But I, yeah. I have no doubt that it's a, a really compelling, compelling book. I, I know, as you say, he's a fantastic writer and editor. And I loved I love that the first his first chapter was an incident in Central Park. And you're like, oh, <laughs> we know where this right. is going to go. But right. it's actually him sprinting from Midtown Manhattan to the park to see a Kirtland's warbler. Yeah, I remember too. that story too. Yeah. So I just, and that really set the stage I thought for the book. He's just so joyful and just so excited about birds. His passion is very clear. Mm-hmm. And I love that that's how he started the book. Yes. It was sort of a tease. And I also want to piggyback on what you were saying, uh, yeah. using birding as a larger platform to uh, stick in a, uh, the other book that was, almost on my list, also very good, was Dorian Anderson's Burning Exactly. Under That's the what influence. I was thinking of when I was making right. that. Yeah, I yeah. figured, which is about a big year he did on a bicycle, but mm-hmm. also about um, recovery from substance abuse. I, mm-hmm. I think both of them uh, really communicate that birding isn't just a hobby you do in your free time. It's something mm-hmm. that can change your life. Yeah, Neil Hayward's "Lost Among the Birds" uh, came to mind. Yes, uh, yes, as well. And I mean, there's a reason that those two are are two of my favorite big year narratives um, because they're about more than birds. Is it me? Yes. Okay, it's so you. I have flight paths. We'll we'll hold off flight paths until we get uh, until we get a little bit further on. But I'll do my number four, uh, and it is Jennifer Ackerman's "What an Owl Knows." Um, anytime Jennifer Ackerman, who is one of the U.S.'s, the, well, the world's even, greatest science writers, great science communicators, decides to write about birds, I feel like that we all uh, are are better for it. Um, it's a fantastic book. I don't think it's quite to the par of The, the Bird Way or, or the other one that she did, but it's still an excellent read. 
Um, she's just such a compelling writer. She she puts herself in the story in such a really interesting way. And it's all about owls, which are arguably one of the most charismatic groups of birds that any one person could write about. Uh, we talked about uh, Christian Cooper's book being sort of about birding, about birds for non-birders. I think Jennifer Ackerman definitely has a birder's mind, but definitely writes for a much larger audience and is is one of the great ornithology science communicators out there. And yes. I would love for her to continue to write about birds um, yes. until she retires, if she ever retires, uh, because I know she's written about other subjects in the past, but her, her bird stuff is just uh, amazing. And uh, I was excited to see another one. It's such a good read. And Jennifer is such a delight to talk to. And um, I am I'm thrilled for the success of this book and thrilled for her. And that's why it is my number four. What an Owl Knows by Jennifer Ackerman. Yes, I think she's really amongst our best writers. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you that I felt it wasn't as um, present as... Mm. her previous two bird books. And I think partly because it was written during COVID. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, she presents research on owls that I didn't know existed from around the no world. That stuff. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. She's definitely one of those authors that people that know I like books will, and birds will be like, oh, have you heard of Jennifer Ackerman? So she's one of those people that is, a lot of people know about even if they're not birders or mm -hmm. into you know uh maybe popular science books so i was really excited to see another book that, um by her this year and I, yeah like you said i hope she has many more to come let's see are we back to you rebecca, rebecca. would you like yes, to sure. take your number four or number three i've already lost count we've talked yeah about, like, it's tough books. I, <laughs> we'll I get to them all is... don't worry we'll do it we'll get there this is my number three. And okay. so it so it works because I, I already got my fifth and fourth out of the way. Um, so my number three is actually a children's book. There were so many good children's books that came out this year. I'm a mother of young children. I really felt like I needed to include a children's book, especially mm -hmm. this one. It's Listen to the Birds by Donald Kruzma. The Donald Kruzma? Yes, exactly. <laughs> It's good. And it's illustrated by Lena Mazilu, and they used the augmented reality specialist, Yoan Guinea, to uh, assist in the publication of this book. It's published by Norton Young Readers. So when I first got this book in the mail and I used the accompanying um, Birdie memory app, I was on the mm -hmm. couch with my son and I shouted for joy because it was so cool. The app brings the birds in the book to life. So they sing and move right on the page. Hmm. And the sound recording of these birds singing is amazing. And the way the birds move on the page is really incredible. Oh. Um, so Kruzma, as you perhaps know, he's a birdsong authority. Um, and the book guides the reader through two bird walks, Eastern North America, Western North America. And he highlights species within specific habitats on these full, full page spreads with paintings by Mazilu. And each spread is followed by these absolutely delightful descriptions of the songs and calls and other noises that bird species make. And Kruzma is just so fantastic at describing these sounds. It's a children's book, but I was reading it and I, I just love the way he describes, like he describes a hermit thrush as whirling and twirling through his fluty ending and a Carolina wren pumping himself up with air until he's close to bursting. And only then does the song explode from his beak. So it's just it's just a beautiful book. Um, my only quibble is that five of the species were 
repeated between the Eastern and the Western bird walks, but he still had more information in his paragraphs about those species. So we still learn more uh, mm. about those birds. And honestly, this is a great book for any budding young birder, but even for adults, if you're in, if you love bird song, like who doesn't, um, I think this would be a good holiday gift. I was really blown away by this book. I had to include it in my list. Okay. I'm going to look into it. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the status of children's books about birding? Cause my, my kids are getting it older now. So we don't have too many children's books in the house anymore. But I remember from their young days that it was pretty slim pickings when it came to anything that was quality. Hmm. Would you say that there are more options available for very young birders than there ever have been? It has improved so much. I have a five and three year old. Mm -hmm. I think I reviewed a children's book for Frank back in 2019. There wasn't a lot out there. And it's Mm -hmm. gotten so much better. I just posted a review to our website, the ABA's website, where I included eight books. And it was so hard to even get to eight books. There are so many. Oh, man. There's a book called Chasing the Sun by Anthony Musso. Mm -hmm. He follows the Arctic turn as it migrates with these like woodcut illustrations he's made. Oh, so beautiful. There are so many out there. There, there are. There are so many books where the there it'll say, oh, this is a robin, and it's like a European robin. Exactly. Or, There's a yeah. goldfinch, yes. and it's just yeah. like a yellow canary. There's a woodpecker, and ah, it's a great spotted it's woodpecker. It's the worst. Yeah. I'll literally get rid of those books. When we have them in our house, they're out. But <laughs> right. There are or so, too, no, there are so many good too, books Or now. too much text, you know. It's, yeah. yeah, yes, That's yes. another way you can go, yeah. No, it's improved. Um, it, it's really improved. Pro- possibly, uh, you know, impact it, it factor of COVID. People mm-hmm. were like, oh, I love to bird. I'll write a kid's book about birds. And yeah. so there's, there's so many. Yeah. I, in my experience, writing a good kid's book is a lot more difficult than a lot of people get it, mm-hmm. give it credit mm-hmm. for. Like, there's a lot of folks out there who are like, oh, writing a kid's book is easy. And it'll just be the most boring, bland story. And this is not just the case for for books about birds, but books about anything. You'll get these yeah. celebrity written bird books. Oh, yeah. Celebrity written children's books. And they're like, oh, yes. no, no, please <laughs> no. I, um, I but when you've got a really good one with a compelling story and amazing illustrations, which is a hugely important part when it comes to to children's books. That's a great thing. And it sounds like the app is a cool feature for this book. Can you describe how that works again? Yes, it's crazy. It's called the Birdie Memory app. Anyone can mm-hmm. download it. It's free, but you should get the book because uh, mm-hmm. it's so cool. You you hold your phone up over the page where the bird is and, and on your screen, the bird, the bird's on your screen and it just uh-huh. seems to lift off the page and is uh, moving while it sings. And I've never seen anything like this. I, I yeah, mean, I'm not, clever. I'm not yeah. like, I don't know a lot about technology, but I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, so, augmented reality. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. it was, it was very, very unique. I hope that more of this, more of things like this come out. Thanks for that. I'm gonna have to try it with my granddaughter, with permission of her parents, who are trying to keep her. There you go. She's five years old to keep her from any apps. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I know. I get that. Hard. Good luck. <laughs> <Right>. Donna, <laughs> what is your next book? Hey, it is Turns of North America. That's my number three, too. So we'll, we'll do know. it together here. A Photographic Guide by Cameron Cox, published by Princeton University Press. And this is a book I have been waiting for hey, because man. I love Turns. And the most recent identification guide to turns 
was uh, from 1995, Turns of Europe and North America, mm-hmm. though Harrison did include it in, them in his Seabirds book. I think goals get all the attention. So many yeah, goal books, true. but turns are so much more elegant and uh, lovely to watch. They look like angels when they kite over you. I love turns. So this book covers 19 species, 16 turns, two noddies, and black skimmer. It is photographic, uh, but there is a great introduction in which Cameron talks about how to observe turns and the framework within which to read the book and understand what he's saying about molt and plumage size and structure. I'm still in the middle of reading this, but it's a book that you need to study to use, and it is really for intermediate to advanced birders. I think beginning birders might be I find it scary, and I've been birding for <laughs> over 20 years. <laughs> um, but I I still have trouble telling elegant from royal, uh, fosters from common. So I am really going to study this book. There are over um, 325 photographs that are used educationally. Each photograph illustrates an identification point or how to tell the turn, a royal turn from an elegant turn. It's very well organized. And I was particularly uh, happy to see he has a special section on, he calls them, and I'm going to now muddy this Latin term, tricky (laughs) thalassius. Thalassius? Thalassius? Yeah, thank you. Look, I gave you two options. One of them might be right. They might both be wrong. I don't really know. But um, yeah. Yeah, these are, right now, there's a taxonomic quagmire with sandwich turns. I think there was an article in Birdie Magazine about that. That's right. Um, David Sibley wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. So he he has a, a separate chapter about that. And what I really liked was that he does not use the term. Cabot's turn. He uses <laughs> North American sandwich turn. North American sandwich turn. In anticipation of changes. Um, yeah, I, I like that uh, because I can just call them nasty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I didn't think uh, of that. That'll be fun. Oh, that'll be no. fun. Um, anyway, um, yes, I agree, Donna. This is this is a beautiful book, and even if you feel like you're not quite up to the challenges of turn identification, which I agree is one of the underrated North American bird identification challenges, particularly those uh, thalassaeus and the midsize, the sterna turns. Um, this is a beautiful book. It has got some amazing photos. Turns are so photogenic. They are great to photograph. And, and so many of the photographs in this book are really spectacular. Most of them are, are by Cameron Cox himself. Uh, this book came to me at exactly the right time because I got the review copy back in September after I had just spent a day out at um, out on the Outer Banks looking for flamingos. But I also ended up spending a lot of time trying to find a a previously reported elegant turn in a, a massive flock of royal turns P- at Pea Island and also ended up getting my life for a roseate turn hmm. at the same time among a flock of common <laughs> common and Forster's turns. So I, I had turns on the brain 
for that weekend. And then uh, this book comes and I got to confirm that I did not find the elegant turn. Um, but no one, no one else, no one else refound it, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it was exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. I think anyone who's interested in turn identification or thinking about turns or even just wants a book with some absolutely gorgeous photographs of turns in them uh, would love this book, Turns of North America, A Photographic Guide. Excellent, excellent book. And I agree with you, Donette. Turns have needed a book like this for a long time. I'm really glad to see it. I want to say that an editorial aside, a birder got this book and was so excited about it that sent me an unsolicited review. The first oh, time really? that's ever happened. Wow. And it was a great review. I'm actually yeah. going to publish it. So. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, every, everyone, everyone knows that this book has been needed for a while. Yes. Uh, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you, Princeton University Press, for, for finally making it a reality. Okay. All Your right. Turn. Are we ready? Turn, Are we ready to move on? I, but I just did turns. No, just did you got to give us, give us another good one. All right. All right. So this is another one of my favorite uh, books of the year. Um, and it is another uh, difficult identification guide. It is Cinti Lee and uh, Andrew Birch's uh, Field Guide to North American Flycatchers in Pitanax and Peewees, also by Princeton University Press, who is absolutely killing it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pitanax Flycatchers, classically, not one of the most underrated of identification problems in North America. Definitely one of the most appropriately rated identification problems in North America. Impedinax flycatchers are tough. And I think more than just about any other group of birds, we have seen field identification of this group of birds uh, come along in leaps and bounds over the last few decades. I think back to the original Roger Tory Peterson illustrations in his uh, first field guides, and they all looked identical, and I think intentionally so. Basically, it was like, don't even try to identify these birds in the field if they're not making any noises. But we've gotten a lot better at it. People have used things like the ratio approach, looking at primary projection and feather spacing and just like the vibe of the bird, the gestalt of these birds. Hmm. Um, We've come a long way, and all of that is sort of synthesized in this field guide by, uh, by Lee and Birch. Burge's illustrations are great. I really like them. He does a really nice job making a group of incredibly similar looking flycatchers unique. Some of them are very simple. He does a lot of these really wonderful kind of black and white line drawings, yes. just to draw yes. attention to the, to the different shapes of the birds. I think that's really clever. Pen and X flycatchers, like Turns, have needed a book like this for a long time. And I'm just really glad that when it does finally come along, that it is done as well as these two guys have done. This is part one mm-hmm. of another small field guide. This is actually an incredibly small field guide. Mm-hmm. Um, part two, which will be Kingbirds and Myarchus Flycatchers and some others, uh, will be coming out in 2024, I believe. And then there'll be a third volume, one that combines all of them. I don't think that's a, that's a money-making push for Princeton University Press, though I will probably certainly get all three of those books. Um, I think they really wanted this Impedinax and, and Peewees. I haven't even talked about the Peewees. They really wanted this Impedinax and Peewee book out in people's hands as quickly as possible. It's, it's, it's really nicely done. It's a really attractive little book. And um, yeah, definitely one of my top bird books of the year, easily. I, I loved it because um, I think it's clearly a labor of love. Um, yes, as uh, as identification of Impedinax frequently is. <laughs> both of these authors are birders, but they're not professional birders. They do mm-hmm. other things in their daily lives. So to tackle something like this, you have to really 
love in pit and X yeah. fly catchers. And mm. I also liked they do these visual similarity map and field mark matrix, all of these vi- visual ways of yeah. showing which birds are have overlap in terms of identifying features and which birds mm-hmm. don't. I think it's really it's helpful to have different ways to remember these things and to learn these things. So I I really like new ways of illustrating how to think about these birds. And I love the luxury of the large illustrations and range maps. Yes. The the range maps in particular go into impressive detail. And, And, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why they wanted to do the books in the way that they did is because they put out this little book that is just Kiwis and Impidanax, and they're able to kind of, you know, luxuriate in these large illustrations of the birds themselves, of the maps, of the spectrograms, of the calls. It's it's really nicely done. And I think you kind of instantly see the utility of it when you pick it up. You know, that's not always the case in some of these books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely yeah, the case I can think of I can think of one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this was so well done. I'm so glad both of you guys included this. I was hoping I knew it would be on somebody's list. Somebody's I'm glad list. it was on <laughs> It it just occurred to me looking at the illustrations because I was just listening to the uh, this month in birdie where you were talking mm-hmm. about the study uh, where you know the brightly colored birds are those that people like the best and yeah. you look at these flycatchers which are all in shades of gray <laughs> and really, brown. He really worked out. He really worked out that palette. Yeah. Yeah, and and but there's so many subtle shadings. They are beautiful. This book's helped you appreciate them. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, there's no doubt about that. And I only regret that they put it out like literally two months before they they lumped the Western Flycatcher. Mm. <laughs> because both Pacific Slope and Cordilleran are given uh, treatment in this uh, in this book. And they probably needn't have. That was probably like several weeks that they uh, of work that they did that just got thrown out in one fell swoop. Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> never know. You never know. <laughs> Rebecca, are we back to you? We are. And I, my next one is Birds of Costa Rica. And I know that I think one of, Nate, you had this. Yeah, this was my number one. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to wait Nate to talk cheated. about it? Nate cheated. He had, yeah, I saw that he cheated. I smuggled a little. I, I saw, I saw. Yeah, I, I caught that. I don't you know had, how I could have, you could consider those two books uh, separately. They're they so are, similar. they were published separately. Um, one is Belize and one is Costa Rica. Do you want, I only have two books left, but I can wait to talk about this for sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's hold off on this one. Um, Donna, would you like to, do you have another book that you want to cover? Um, I think we're down to the same. We're We're down down to the the same book, unless you allow me to sneak in the ABA field guide to birds of Ontario. Well, it is an ABA podcast. So we will do a little company. We'll do the company line here. It, and, and it's easy it's to do because book. it's a very nice book. Very nice. So um, I had, I cheated also. I put down ABA Field Guide to Birds of Ontario by Chris Early. Photographs by Brian E. Small, published by mm-hmm. Scott and Nix. The first ABA Field Guide to we a province it. of Canada. Yay. We invaded, we invaded North, mm. finally. And Ontario deserves a field guide because they have a huge bird list. They Mm -hmm. have different, four distinct ecosystems. They are, uh, Point Pele is a 
I probably said that wrong again. Healy Paley. I've heard both. Yeah. Rondo, <laughs> Algonquin. It's got some of the classic North American bird sites. Right, um, right. That, yeah, um, yeah. So, of course, this is for beginners, and it covers, I have to find my notes, it covers a little over 300 species, I think out of 500, roughly. Author Chris Early uh, lives in Canada. He has written a lot about Ontario and um, also certain bird families like owls and warblers. And he does a very good job in each of the species accounts of giving you the basics and a little bit more. So I think just this is a very good guide if you live in Ontario, if you're thinking of birding that area. And I hope that ABA will continue to explore Canada in the future. British Columbia needs a guide. People in the U.S., birders in the U.S., probably underestimate how big Ontario is mm-hmm. and how big of an undertaking a field guide to Ontario is. Like, Ontario is bigger than Texas? Like, it's, it's Probably. I think it's bigger than Texas. This is, this is a big province with a, yes. lot, of, a lot of places uh, to go birding, even though most of us tend to think of the, um, the north side of the Great Lakes for the most part and maybe Algonquin Provincial Park. But a lot of birds there, a lot of birders there, so many Ontario birders. Um, it's nice to finally include them in this, uh, in this series. Welcome, welcome, bienvenue, Canada. Because everything's <laughs> got to be in English and French. So, And yes. I did just Google it. It is a lot bigger than Texas. Yeah, it's significantly bigger. <laughs> than, yeah. And they have sports teams named after birds. They do, yeah. So yeah at least it's a bird-thinking yeah. place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Shall we do the other field guides? I think we all have these guides on our I put Belize. Rebecca put Costa Rica. And I put both (laughs) because I figure you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Both of these guides came out this year. Who wants Mm -hmm. to introduce them? Rebecca, do you want to introduce them? Yeah, sure. I, gosh, I wish that I've been to Costa Rica recently. It's been a while for me. So... I've I relied on um, we had this book reviewed. It'll be in the January issue of Birding. Um, Mercedes Alpizar reviewed it, and so we're talking about Birds of Costa Rica. It's a field guide by Dale Dyer and Steve N. G. Howell, published by Princeton. Um, like many of the books we've talked about today, Princeton keeps putting out winners. Yeah, they they're amazing. Um, so I was thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really excited about this book because obviously Costa Rica is a great country for birding, but because they did, um, Dyer and Howell did something historic. They split species in the book that no taxonomic authority has split. (laughs) And they occasionally lumped species. Um, And they relied on IOC for their book instead of Clements. And Clements is usually, uh, it's, it's more well known for by Costa Rican birders and using Costa Rica. So because of that, this book has species upon species. And some of the splits included in the book even impact species that we, you know, many of us in the ABA area know and love, like warbling vireos and turkey vultures. Herring gulls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did it? Okay. I didn't even see that, but yes. Um, I just wanted to put this quote out there because it was so, I had to read it several times in the book. So in the introductory text, when they're talking about, you know, why they did what they did and 
they have so much, you know, evidence and research to back up kind of their decisions on uh, some of their splits. But they said that they hope that drawing attention to these splits acts as a laxative on the taxonomic constipation yeah. manifested by some committees and speeds the rate at which ignorance and inertia fall victim to reality. That is the most classic Steve Howe quote, I think, ever been written in a field guide. <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I, I thought, thought, I thought it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I I, I want to get back to Costa Rica as soon as I can to Bird. Um, I, I thought, well, I know Donna, you'll probably talk more about Dyer's painting, so I'll let you talk about that. But I loved Howell's text; it was very concise, and the range maps I thought were great. They helpfully denoted like species expansion for some uh, for some species. So yeah, I thought this was a a great book. It's compact, despite the fact that it has over eight hundred species in it. Yeah. So which is no small feat. It's it was really good. I like Dale Dyer's illustrations. I know you guys might have some critiques, but I like them. The only thing that has kept me from being like 100% is like, well, you know, the birds are going to be different than what you see on eBird. And most people are using eBird. And that might be confusing. Now, if you want to get past that, it's a beautiful, beautiful guide. I think it's probably the best guide to Costa Rica, easily the best guide to uh, Belize, which doesn't have a lot of competition. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting angle that people should know when they are getting this guide that it's going to be a little bit different than what your eBird checklist says. And if you're okay with that, then by all means, it's a beautiful book. Yeah, I put down uh, Belize because, as you said, uh, we were sorely needing a modern field guide to Mm -hmm. birds of Belize. I was wondering why they did Costa Rica, since I think of all the neotropical countries, there are the most field guides um, and other guides Mm-hmm. for Costa Rica. But then I checked and the latest guide, I think the one that I used when I went to Costa Rica last year was uh, 2014. Yeah, so, that's the Greatest Dean second edition yeah. one. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so almost 10 years, there've been a lot of changes in name splits. Um, I, You know, people could have gotten by by still using it, but this was certainly a welcome addition. And I do, I do love the illustrations. Uh, Originally, uh, Dyer's illustrations in uh, it was a field guide to birds of birds of Central America. Birds of Central America. Yeah, I don't have the. I don't. I think it was our number one book uh, a couple years ago when it right, 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 right. Uh, Birds of Central America: Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama. so for that, I thought some of the colors were a little soft, but I actually mm-hmm. did not feel that with these. And I don't, it might be me because I was making comparisons and they seem to be basically the same illustration. So um, maybe my eye has adjusted. One of the interesting things about <laughs> Birds of Central America that you, that you, you rightly point out, the illustrations are more or less the same, but the, the background like the mm. background color on which mm. the illustrations are printed, there's a lot darker colors yes. in Birds of Central America. And I think that was kind of off-putting to some yes. people. Um, there's less of that in these books. They've dialed it back a little bit. There are still some pages, some plates that are not white. They're tan or beige or light gray or whatever. And I think that's kind of a nice touch. It breaks it up a little bit and, and it's appealing and brings out some of the colors of some of the birds. But they're not as dark. And I think that's that was a... It felt like that was a an intentional 
change mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. Birds of Central America and these two new guides to possibly America. I I find most of the colored backgrounds. I like them. There's some of them are still a little too dark, but yeah. in a way you could always say, well, that's how you're going to see them in the field. It's going to be, you're going Arguably. to be in a rainforest. It's going that's, to be yeah. dark. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. And, and honestly, the paintings are so elegant. I, oh. I, and there's some of the species are so small on these pages and mm, you still yeah. can see crisp details. So and the book is compact. It's not a mm-hmm. you know giant field guide. So it is mm-hmm. really an impressive work. Especially if you read some background on how Dale Dyer does the research in the field, but also in the museum. He works for the Museum of Natural History in New York City. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just spent hours looking at the skins there to help look at the very tiny details that make even the smallest um, illustrations Uh, unique and helpful when trying to identify a bird. I also had questions about what we talked about with the Steve Howell of it all. And (laughs) I really could not review the books without reading uh, the article. I think there was an article in North American Birds. Yeah, yeah, there was. Co-authored by both he and, and Dale Dyer, in which they talk about the biodiversity of birds in Costa Rica and how uh, we need to pay more attention to speciation. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of uh, surprised that was not included in the introduction in some way, uh, other than what Rebecca read. <laughs> the laxative <laughs> line, which was the money-making line from it that was, from that uh, yeah. essay, if I remember right. It, right. Drew me, it drew me right in. I was yeah. like, I'm getting back to Costa Rica <laughs> based on this Whatever line only. But... Um, And I guess the other thing I thought about was you have these two guides and a guide to Mexico, which hopefully will be coming Yeah, I was just going to say Mexico remains the outstanding uh, country Mm. without a a modern field guide, which is a shame because it is so birdy and so endemic rich and definitely needs to be spotlighted. Right. So my understanding is they are also working on a Oh, burning oh, a, a field guide to Mexico, which I must have read somewhere. I don't know if it's official or not. So please, yeah. if you're listening, don't take that as written in stone. Um, uh, that would be exciting. great. Mexico, please do it. Mexico needs a guide desperately. <laughs> but I was just thinking, uh, what is the idea of producing two guides almost simultaneously, sharing mm-hmm. the artwork, sharing the descriptions? Uh, but it's not a money maker. You can tell when you read them that they both spent time making sure each species account was for that country. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in a world where it's just not economically feasible to have unique illustrations and mm-hmm. descriptions for each guide for each country, this is a, a system that works very, very well. The only publishing house that I think could even come close to rivaling it would be Lynx because of their, you know, birds of the world and and their interest in in producing some field guides to some underserved places. I don't know that they have ever gone to the detail that Howell has gone to here with, as you say, Donna, the creation of completely different species accounts for each guide that is specific to that country. And I don't know if they're still doing that under the new management. Yeah. Well, there's another question. 
I think we've all got one more book that is on everybody's list. It was the only yeah. one that was on all three of our lists. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Donna, yeah. do you want to you introduce it? Uh, I, give I it, will I give, it give a short introduction. For some reason, I started losing my voice as soon as we started podcasting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it rains of- always. Um, okay. Flight Paths, How a Passionate and Quirky Group of Pioneering Scientists Solved the Mystery of Bird Migration by Rebecca Heisman, published by... Harper Collins. Harper Collins, thank you. a real deal publishing house, not a bird specific one. Good on you, Rebecca. So this is a history of bird science. And I don't even want to say ornithology because a lot of the stories and Mm -hmm. people she profiles are outside the rigorous scientific community. She really... um, shows how outliers, pioneers, mavericks were instrumental to creating the bird science and technology that we have today. And it's very well written, uh, very well researched. And I just learned so much. I, I, can, I didn't realize how much I learned till I started reading mm-hmm. some other books that have been written or articles about uh, bird science and saying, well, wait a second, I read in flight paths that this isn't really what happened, that this happened, or I know about this from flight paths. So it really gives, um, if you're interested in reading about current initiatives in ornithology and related sciences today, it gives you this great background in order to understand and evaluate it. And it's it's a really good read, too. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think Rebecca did a really fantastic job. I know that when she started this book, when she was kicking the seeds of this idea around, she was a little bit concerned because Scott Widensall had just written a book about bird migration just that year earlier. And, you know, it's it's very uh, Widensallian, you know, the way that Scott writes and it, the scope that he takes and the very personal way that he he writes about bird migration. And so Rebecca was a, a little bit concerned that there would be a little bit of overlap here. And I think that what she has done is gone in a different direction and told some really fabulous stories about, as you say, Donna, the the people, the absolute frequently very odd people yes. that have been doing this work and coming up with ways to solve these problems, these very odd problems. Sometimes you need odd people to solve these specific sorts of strange problems. And uh, it's just super compelling. And another one of these books that's primarily about birds, but written for an audience that is not necessarily a birding audience, though obviously birders are going to get a lot out of it. You know, it goes down some really interesting paths. Um, just good stuff. Yeah, I kept thinking, well, surely she's told us everything, and then there, right there would be yeah. another chapter, and I was like, oh my gosh, like what? Uh, you know, mapping the isoscape, like what's what's this about? Yeah. And I, that was actually my favorite chapter, but um, mm-hmm. she did an incredible amount of research for this book, and I really like to. One of the things she did was she kind of interspersed herself a few times. In the narrative really showed us how mm-hmm. she got the information. She would like tweet something like, I need help with this problem. Yeah. And people would get back to her. She would follow the folks sometimes in the field um, as they were collecting data. And we really kind of got to know 
the characters better, I think, because of her methods of conducting her research. I This was her first book, I'm almost positive. Yeah. So yeah. it was yes. really yeah. impressive that right this was her gate. first. I know she yeah. was a science writer mm-hmm. before. Um, yeah, I, I love this book. I, I saw it everywhere. I felt like it was mm-hmm. everywhere, which was really exciting. She's such a, Rebecca's such a great person. So when I knew I was going to be on this podcast, this is the first book that I was like, oh, well, this will obviously be on it. So really liked it. Yeah, it's not often that we have a lot of non-field guide books on our lists every year. And 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 part of that is because I think Donna and I have been doing this the longest. Those are the books that we are both kind of attracted to for and I think a lot of other birders are attracted to them too. But, you know, I think this year has seen so many of these sort of general science books that have birds at the center of them. Um and I think that's that's great for birds and great for birding and bird conservation and all of us who do work in the I know, the bird world, the birdosphere. One of the things I really liked about this book is uh, Rebecca was very conscious of including women Mm -hmm. scientists and Mm -hmm. also of the ethics of bird Mm -hmm. research. She even interviews an ethics specialist about Mm -hmm. how ethical is it to put these little transmitters Mm -hmm. on the birds. And you would think that this should be the norm these days. But then I read another book uh, by a British author, and I won't name it, but it didn't have either of these things. So I realized uh, we still need to work at uh, including women and people of color and uh, broadening our perspective as birders to think about ethics of, of what we do. So... I thought that took a lot of intelligence and also a little bit of guts to include it. For sure. But it should have had a bibliography. (laughs) One critique. Always the librarian's (laughs) critique, huh? (laughs) I think that's what publishers are doing these days to save money. No bibliography, no index, no pictures. Uh, And I I understand why they're doing it, but I just got to champion the index, the bibliography, (laughs) the maps. (laughs) Love an index. An index index. is nice. Oh, it does have an index. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I thought it did. And it has 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 pictures. It has notes. It has an index. I'm just talking in the larger sense. And it has pictures. General sense. General sense, of course. Because I'm assuming all the publishers listen to us. Hmm. <laughs> Always at least two of them. I do want to say that um, I talked to the publicist for Birds of Costa Rica, and he was so excited that we were going to include this book. And he wanted, oh, uh, right on. He wanted the a link to this podcast when it was oh, well, out. So. I'll yeah, be like, oh, Princeton was all over it. So <laughs> Princeton's always been a good partner for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've gotten to the end of our list. Uh, this is the point where you can uh, toss in any other. We're not going to talk in depth about any of them, but if you have any other books that caught your eye that you were interested in this year, you just want to give them a little bit of a shout out. Now's the time to do it. I want to say Chasing the Sun, the children's book is there you go. Timothy Musso, not Anthony Musso. I am so sorry. Just had to put that out there, but yes. Right. I already threw my titles in. Oh, yeah. Well done. <laughs> so, so, so seamlessly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Burning for a Better World, the Feminist Bird Club book was also quite good. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, that, those were sort of my favorites of the year. Oh, and one that had nothing to do with birds, but was fascinating nonetheless. Um, all the Mammals of the World by mm-hmm. Lynx. Uh, it's got all the mammals. It's got all the yes. mammals. 
it's, it's I mean, mammals. it's eighty percent bats and rodents, but it's got a lot of other good stuff in there too. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't keep including memoir. I love memoir, and I was like, ah, I can only put one <laughs> in there, or they're not going to let me on this podcast. But um, Margaret Rankle's uh, "The Comfort of Crows" was is is a really beautiful book. She's a, a writer for the New York Times, and she writes. She's based in Nashville. And uh, her writing is so, it really calls to mind like Annie Dillard and some other nature writers Mm. from the past, Um, really thoughtful. She's very concerned about what's happening to this world. Um, She writes just kind of from a place of concern, but also from a place of joy. And I really appreciate her writing. And I'm glad that it's amplified in the New York Times. Good stuff. You can find lists of all of our books, all the top five books on the show notes for this episode please check that out at aviated.org slash podcast thank you donna thank you rebecca donna shulman book reviewer at Ten Thousand birds rebecca minardi is the book and media review editor for aba's birding magazine thank you both for your time thank you both for your lists it's always such a pleasure to talk bird books with you and we will see you down the road when we reconvene the birding book club next time thank you so much Happy holidays, Thank everybody. You. Happy holidays. Get some good Happy bird books. Happy holidays. Hanukkah is very soon. Very soon. In very fact, we're in, in the middle soon. of this, in the middle of book this episode. And now for Hanukkah. You better get them fast. You better get them fast. That's right. <laughs> the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is, as always, to join the ABA. Not only do you get to support community projects like this podcast, but membership gets you lots of great benefits, including our magazines, discounts to partners like OM Systems, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and Beautio Books, and more. You can find out how to do all of that at aviated.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Matthew Bensley of Brooklyn, New York, Amy Fenton of Hillsborough, California, Tim and Linda Letty of Boulder, Colorado, Adam Plugman of Fort Collins, Colorado, Laura Steele of Troy, Pennsylvania, John and Jay Wheelock of New Egypt, New Jersey, and Skylar Wilson of Birmingham, Alabama, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive Director of the ABA and Executive Producer of the podcast is Wayne Klockner, who's very excited about the new Turn Identification Guide, but wonders if it includes the underrated issue between Sternespa and distant German sausages, because he has been known to take a turn for the worst. Technical production is by John Lowry, whose favorite soap opera is the one about the trials and tribulations of a busy seabird colony. It's uh, As the Turn's World. Additional help comes from Maggie Fitzgibbon and Greg Neese, who are recounting a story of watching black skimmers attempt to assemble a piece of IKEA furniture, noting that it appears that the turns have tabled. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Blue Sky, we are at ABA Birds. Questions, comments, can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nitswick. Thanks for listening. We're like Tom. See you next week.